So, oh, there it is. So, I said in first service, I got to say it again, Brandon. I, I like that last song. I like it a lot, but I am a little disappointed because I was really hoping the kingdom was coming. <laughs> but praise the Lord, we're still here, so open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Uh, my name is Jesse Bowman. I'm a lay pastor here at Harvest Baptist Church. Keep praying for Alan and his team. They're in El Salvador. I've been following online. It looks like things are going good, um, uh, but keep lifting them up. You know, this, this book, this book is an amazing book. Amen? Amen. And, and it's amazing for so many reasons. It clearly defines for us the past all the way back to Genesis. It correctly prophesies the future all the way through Revelation. But it has truth for us today. And what's amazing is in those 66 books, whether it's about the past, the present, or the future, there is truth there for us today. And so, we've got to see what it says. And we're going to be talking about contentment this morning in Philippians chapter 4. Hopefully you found your place. Uh, and, and, and I'm honest, I'm, I'm very humbled, uh, but very excited to share with you what God's Word has to say about it. So let's pray. Dear Lord, I love you. I thank you so much for this church. Thank you so much for uh, every member, uh, every person that's here this morning. And I just pray and trust and ask that your spirit would meet with us. That you would calm our hearts, that you would help us to focus through the power of your spirit, because that's the only way that we can understand what your word has to say, that we can take it, we can apply it, that we can change us to look more like you. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> all right, Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 11 through 13, but we're actually going to fast forward. We're going to fast forward to the last verse because any person that's smart that's going on a trip, the first question they ask is, where, where are we going? They want to know where they're going. And so we're going to, first, to Philippians 4.13. That's our destination. So let's read it. It says this. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. That is a doozy of a verse, y'all. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I mean, who doesn't want this verse? This is the name it and claim it, the get or done, the just do it, the I'm going to justify whatever I'm doing verse. I mean, we need this verse, but I'll be honest with you, you know, I, I trust Google about as far as I can throw it. But according to Google, this verse, along with John 3.16 and, and a couple others, this is like one of the popular verses in our Bible that people actually get tattooed on themselves. Now, don't, don't worry. I'm not going to get legalistic on you. Not yet. Just kidding. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're into competition barbecue or CrossFit, if you're into artisan coffee or Div 1 sports, if you're a soccer mom in a minivan, or you're the dad bod with the midlife crisis hot rod. You're the social media influencer or you're under the influence. This is the verse we bumper sticker and we tattoo on ourselves. And I'll be honest with you, I don't think we understand what it means. 
And so we need to look at this verse. And, and to do that, we've got to back our Bible bus up a couple verses. Because what's the first rule of Bible study? It's context. Amen. Somebody knows their Bible. Praise the Lord. Context is king. So we need to back up a little bit. So the book of Philippians, it's a prison epistle. It's called that because Paul actually writes it while he's under house arrest in prison to the church at Philippi. And the context actually has to do with him comforting the church in this particular passage because they've wanted to support him in ministry and couldn't. And they're finally starting to be able to do that again. And Paul's relating to them, and he writes these words that we're going to read in relation to his, his life, his path, his ministry, and his biblical perspective on that. Look at verse 11. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. <clears throat> I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Whoa. You know, that, is, that is what I call a truth bomb that Paul drops on us. It is laden. It is dripping with truth. Because you see, Paul's life was anything but boring. Anything but boring. It was full. It was dramatic, honestly. But it wasn't that baby daddy drama queen, you done messed up A.A. Ron kind of drama. No, it wasn't like that at all for Paul. Look what Paul writes to the church in Corinth. 2 Corinthians 11, 24. Of the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Thrice means three. Once I was stoned. Okay, we got to stop there. Sorry, but... Just so you know, that, that's Acts 14. Paul was actually stoned with rocks, not with grass. Okay? He was literally stoned and drug out of it. Somebody finally got it. It's all right. So he's literally stoned with rocks, drug out of town, and left for dead. That's what that's talking about, just so we're clear. I know what's legal, I know what's not, but that's what it's talking about right there. Thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I've been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, say that three times real fast, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. And you thought you were having a bad week. Hmm. And yet here we are, Samwise Gamgee, here at the end of all things, and the Apostle Paul says this to the church at Philippi, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Now, now I don't know about you, but that changes the context of our passage completely. I mean, Paul is not blowing smoke. His life, he has been through some stuff. And this is what he says. He doesn't say, woe is me. He says, wow, I've learned to be content. 
We need some of that. We need some of that this morning. Because you see, I don't bring that verse up in 2 Corinthians to minimize in any way, shape, or form the problems and the challenges that we have. I don't, my intent is not for you to compare your life to Paul. The Apostle Paul lived in an amazing time and had an amazing work ahead of him. That's not the point. The point is this. Paul speaks with authority when he says it. When he says, I've learned to be content. He's not somewhere in a cushy palace, you know, with Amazon Prime right there. You know, I'm content. No, 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 that's not his life. Okay, just to be clear. That is not his life. Because our own lives, let's be honest, they're full of times of abundance and times of need. Times of want. Jesus said in Matthew 5.45 that God makes the sun rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. That's just the truth. Things aren't always good, are they? And things sometimes are good, and we're still not content. Hmm. So we need to break this verse down. He says he's learned to be content in whatsoever state I am in. That's who we are. That's our person. We need to look at that. He says he's content in all things. That's what we're given. That's our position. Your position can change. And he's content everywhere. That's where we are. Obviously, that's our place. That can change too. Paul had learned to be content in his person, in his place, in his position. He'd learned to be content with who he was, where he was, and what he had been given. And that word learn is important because it clearly implies it was a a process or a journey or a path that he was walking on. So if learning to be content is a path, a process to the victorious Christian life of Philippians 4.13, well, what what does that path look like? Well, you're asking good questions this morning. We need a formula for study. We need a formula for study. And it's easy as one, two, three. This is how we're going to study these three things out. Number one, we need to go get into God's Word. You've got to search the Scriptures. Search the Scriptures. Psalm 119.18 says this, Behold wondrous things out of thy law. This book, this Bible, it is the whole counsel of God, it says. It is the word of truth. And it's our manual, and it's our map for life. No Christian should explore this life without a map. Just ask Dora. She doesn't go anywhere without her map. But you've got to search the scriptures. Number two, you've got to go get God's perspective. What do I mean by that? Well, you have to process the principle. You search the scriptures and then you process the principle, which requires the Holy Spirit. See 1 Corinthians chapter 2.14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Not just any spirit, the Holy Spirit. Because you see, the Holy Spirit, that's our compass. But it's a compass with built-in GPS. Because this 
spirit that dwells within us if we're a Christian, it, it takes God's word and it shows us whenever we're getting off course. It keeps us in line. Well, how does it do that? Well, it's only by the spirit that we're even taught the word, the Bible says. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts of sin. It's the Holy Spirit. And how does... It's really simple. It's not, it's not mystical. It's not magic. How does the Holy Spirit do it? He speaks into your heart the very words of God. That's how he does it. The Spirit only. How do you know if you're listening to the right Spirit? Because that Spirit will be telling you what the Word of God says. You can trust in that. That's awesome. Number three, you've got to make it your own. You've got to make it your own. We have to adjust our attitude. Because every decision, every decision that a Christian makes, yes, every decision a Christian makes is at a crossroads, whether you're going to change or you're going to stay the same. Because why? Why would we take the time to search the Scriptures, process the principle, and then not adjust our attitude? I mean, that's a waste of time. If all we're going to do is have head knowledge... We search the scriptures, we process the principles, and there's no change? Mm. That's not okay. We have to make a change. And we can only do that, like it says in Romans 12, 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How do you know it's the perfect will of God? Oh, from the word of God itself. Now that we have the formula for study, let's break down these three facets. The person, the position, and the place. Number one, Paul learned and we need to learn to be content with who we are. With who you are, your person. See, God made you exactly who he wanted you to be. Exactly. You see, Paul knew exactly who he was and he was content with it. How do I know that? Well, we just read it in 1 Philippians 4.11. He was a man, it says in Philippians 3.5, circumcised on the eighth day. He was Jewish of the tribe of Benjamin. Our Bible says he was a man of diminutive physical presence, but mighty with the pen in his hand. He was content with that. And God wants you to be content with who you are this morning. Your gender, your ethnicity, the color of your skin, your hair, your height, the sound of your voice. He wants you to be content with all of it because why? Because he made it exactly how he, how he wanted you to be. It's all ordained by God. But see, we live in a day and an age where we see the world rejecting this truth wholeheartedly, don't they? Nearly every cell in your body actually contains your genetic code, your DNA. And you can change what's on the outside, but I can just take a few of those cells, scrape them off, give them to someone smarter than me. They run the DNA sample. It'll tell me exactly who you are. Genesis 1.27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. There are only two genders. You know why I don't trust Google? Google tells you that there's 107. 107 genders. I don't even know what to say about that than this. That's a lie. (laughs) 
That is a lie. There are 105 confusions about gender. There are only two genders. How do I know? Because Genesis 1.27 tells me so. That's where you find your identity, in the Word of God, even for simple things like that. Psalm 119 in verse 14 and 16 says this, I will praise thee, David says, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. You can't deny it. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in the book, in thy book, all my members were written which in continuous were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. That is deep. God, God knows exactly who you are. He made you exactly who you want you to be, and that's our key point. Your enemies want you to be discontent with who you are because that puts you at odds with your Creator. Do you see the enemy's tactic? It's so simple. It's so subtle. I don't think this is who I'm supposed to be. Who do we blame? Deep in our heart, we're going to blame God. Don't listen to that. Don't listen to that. So, And I know some of you still, you're maybe not believing me. Because what about those hard things? What about them? Well, John 9. And Jesus passed by, and he saw a man which was blind from birth. You see there? See there, Jesse? That's not good. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? I love Jesus' response. Neither had this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Why did God give you whatever it is that you're not content about? To, so that he can show you how awesome he is? So he can manifest his works in you? That's what he wants to do. You see, we're just like the disciples. We see someone that's born with a disability or a disease. I've done it. And you're like, oh, God, God obviously loves me more than them. That is not, what, that is not Jesus' response at all. That's not his response. Jesus says, no, no, no. I did that because I want to make my works manifest in him. Because we all have a disease called spiritual blindness, which is sin. God wants to use the work of Jesus Christ on the cross to make that manifest in your life. To save you from your sin. Why does God do, you know, people will say things, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, it rains on the just and the unjust. Why would we ever would we ever run to God if we ever if we had no need? We wouldn't. It's a hard thing. But Jesus Christ died, he rose again. He suffered on the cross and bled and died for you to make his work manifest in your life. And maybe you're not content with your creator because you haven't dealt with your sin nature yet. You haven't given that to him. Do it today. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. You're never going to be content with who you are until you get that piece right first. 
Or maybe you're a Christian and you've just been listening to lies about who you should or could or shoulda, woulda, coulda, who you're supposed to be. No. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. But how are you going to know that? Only if you search the scriptures, if you process the principle, and then you've got to, you've got to adjust your attitude. You've got to make it your own. Number two, you need to learn, we need to learn to be content with God's economy. Right, here we go. God gives you exactly what you need when you need it. Philippians 4.12, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. So I want you to hold your place here and I want you to turn back to Matthew chapter 25. You know, this subject isn't talked about often, but this verse spells it out very clearly. We need to learn how to be both abased, which is suffer need, and we need to learn how to abound in all things. We need to be content with God's economy. What do I mean by that? Well, Jesus provides a parable in Matthew 25, starting in verse 14, and it says this, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. And so here we are. Jesus is explaining the economy of the kingdom of heaven, which, yes, Good Bible students know that's a physical kingdom, but there are spiritual truths here for us. The first thing to note is this. It's God's economy, not ours. It says, what does it say? And delivered unto them his goods. Who's the owner of the goods? God's the owner of the goods. We get it backwards. It's his goods. Psalm 5010 says, for every beast of the forest is mine. And the cattle upon a thousand hills. Revelation 4.11 Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. It's God's. All of it. But let it be, God's economy is fair. It's fair. And unto one he gave five talents, and to another two and to another one, every man according to his several ability. And I know this is a hard saying, but the truth is the matter, the truth of the matter, we all know it, is that we all don't have the same, do we? We don't. Some of us have more and some of us have less. Some of us have times where we have more and some of us have times when we have less. But that's exactly what this verse is talking about, isn't it? To be abounding or to be abased. And what I don't see these servants doing is standing next to each other. What's in your bag? Because the talents aren't Mahomes' five magical talents that win him the Super Bowl. No, it's a currency, right? But what we do immediately is, well, why has he got more talents than me? Why, God? Why does he have a different spiritual gift than I have? Well, whose goods are they? They're God's goods. He dispenses them as he, sees, as he sees fit. But we get it all backwards. 
We're not entitled to more than we deserve. We like to try to apply works where we need grace and grace where we need works. 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says this, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which are among you disorderly, not content, working not at all, but are busybodies. What you got in your bag? Now, them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. I love that. Eat your own. Hey, don't worry about what's on his plate. Eat your own bread. Why? Because that's exactly what you need. If you needed more, you'd have more. Instead, we start comparing what we have been given to the guy that's next to us in the grocery line at the stoplight across the street, and we get discontent. And that's why in Hebrews 13.5 it says, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. Why? Because you're content with the giver of it. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Yes. Because, you see, this Laodicean church age, unfortunately, we confuse comfort with content. We think those words mean the same thing, but they don't. We say we want to be content when what we actually mean is we want comfort. We don't want to be too hot or too cold. We want it just right. We don't want to sacrifice or serve. We want room service. We have what I like to call the Goldilocks complex. We got it all backwards. And so we avoid or we complain about serving, about any kind of sacrifice or suffering. We complain about our first world problems. That's not two-day shipping. Okay. I mean, I can't believe it. But we need to be careful, church, because you see, that attitude turns into how we actually work, how we live. Look at Revelation 3.15. I know thy works, because you work based on your attitude. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. Goldilocks. I would that, were, that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of thy mouth. I know it's a hard saying, but, but that's the generate, that is the dispensation we live in. It's the reality, but we don't have to match it if we will take God's word, get his perspective, and make it our own. That's what we have to do. Let her see God's interested in how we invest. Now look at this. this is, I think this is amazing. Matthew 25, 16. Then he that received the five talents went and traded with the same... And made them other five talents. And likewise, he that received two, he also gained other two. But the man that received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. There are no shortcuts with God. Because you see, the rate of return for both servants, whether they had five or two, was the same. Both of the, the rate of return is the same. Why is that? Well, that's because of Proverbs 11.1. 1. A false balance, which is a scale, is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Try to get that stable of a return from NASDAQ. Ain't going to happen. No, God's fair. 
We like to think that equal equals fair. Fair and equal are two completely different words. God is fair. Amen? He is. And so the Lord comes back to reckon with these servants in Matthew 25, 20. And so he that received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. That's good. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Not only do both servants receive the same rate of return, both receive the exact same commendation. That's interesting. I'm not saying the actual reward was the same. I'm saying the commendation and the rate of return, the same. Because it's God's economy, not ours. It's the exact same wording besides one word in verse 21 and 23. One guy has twice, over twice as much as the other, and the, and the response from God is the same. I gave you a little bit, and you were faithful with it. Because you see, from God's perspective, he owns the whole economy. He just, he's given you a little slice. Stop comparing your slice to everybody else's. Just take your slice and invest it, and the rate of return is promised because God's word does not return void ever and you will be rewarded in this life and in eternity and that's awesome yeah but wait story's not over verse 24 then he which had received the one talent came and said lord i knew thee that thou art a hard man reaping where thou hast not sown gathering where thou hast not strawed and i was afraid and went and hid my talent in the earth lo there thou hast that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. This servant is something else. I mean, he obviously doesn't have a map. He buried his treasure with no map because he doesn't even dig it up and bring it back. He's just like, hey, wherever I left it, it's yours, God. Go get it. Mm. But God knows exactly where it is because he does go get it. He gives it to one of the faithful servants. But look what it says in verse 30. And cast ye the unprofitable servant servant into outer darkness there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth now praise god we as christians will never be cast into outer darkness because this is about a physical kingdom here and we live in a spiritual one as christians but first corinthians chapter 3 is very clear god is interested in how you invest in this life and you will be rewarded or you will suffer Shit loss and shame 
if you don't invest properly. And I'm not just talking about finances. It's so much bigger than that. It's your time. It's your talents. It's your spouse, your children, your grandchildren. You're either investing the Word of God in those things or else you're just burying those things in the ground. But God knows exactly where they are because it's all His. It's His economy. That's why we have to have the right perspective. Matthew 6, 20, But lay up for yourselves where? Treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust are corrupt, and where thieves do not break through or steal. You see, we're actually influenced by affluence when we should be using our spiritual affluence, this book, to influence others to accept Christ, to live Christ-centered lives, which leads to our key point. Your enemies want you discontent with what you are given, so you'll waste it and seek something that isn't for you. We are possessed. We are actually oppressed by possessions. But let me be clear. God will make sure that everything in His economy will ultimately be used for His glory because every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. It's just your opportunity that's wasted. See, God doesn't waste anything. He's going to get it all. It's all His. Those servants, they gave it to Him, and guess where it all ended up? It's all going back to God. Don't waste what He's given you. Maybe you're discontent with your position, with what you've been given, because you got a bad case of the haves or the have-nots. But what, and how do we fix that? Well, we got to get in God's Word. we got to get God's perspective, and we have to make it our own. You've got to search the Scriptures. You've got to process the principle, and you have to adjust your attitude. You see, studying God's Word isn't just for pastors. It's for every Christian. You want Philippians 4.13? This is how you do it. You search the scriptures, you process the principle, and you adjust your attitude because that conforms you to Christ. So number three, learn to be content with where God has placed you. Your place. We need to be content with our place. How do we do that? Well, letter A... Never forget your real address. It's not on your GPS. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Where's Sean? My, my treasures are laid up way beyond the blue. He could sing it for us. You see, Ephesians 2, 4, 5 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved, and hath raised up us together, present tense, and made us sit together, present tense, in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that means, praise the Lord, whether you're abounding or you're abased, we, we can't get locked up in our place. Because you see, the Bible says that our entire life is but a vapor, James 4.14. And so this place that you're in, whether it's really good or really bad, it's even shorter than that. Which, hey, praise the Lord, if you're going through a rough time, it's even shorter than a vapor. It's going to pass. 
And if you're in a really good spot, praise the Lord, it's going to pass. Why? Because that's how life works. God wants to show you how, if it's His, how He can bless you through it. But you've got to be content with whatever it is you've given, including your place. So we, and, and, and letter B is this. You need to never forget why. This is how you actually become content. You understand what your actual location is as a Christian, which is in heaven. But you never forget why you're here. And I think of the example of Esther. Esther was a young lady in our Old Testament that was put in a crazy place. Israel was in bondage, being ruled by a foreign Gentile power. And through a series of events, she was actually made the wife of the Gentile queen, of the Gentile king, and therefore made the queen. Now that sounds like actually a really good place to be, doesn't it? Queen? Queen for a day? But there was actually a huge problem. A law had been written that her people, the Jews, were to be murdered. Ethnic cleansing across the land and there's nothing anyone could do about it because in that culture at that time laws could not be unwritten and here she is she has the king's favor but also the rule states that if you go in front of the king without being asked if he does, if he's not in the mood it's over and she knows and so her uncle Mordecai, he says this to her in, in, in Esther 4.14. But if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house, myself included, shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? You see, the person... The position and the place that Esther was in was all by God's providence. In some ways, she had been given a lot, and in some ways, she was suffering much need. And that's exactly how our lives work. There are some areas of your life right now that are abounding, and at the same time, there are parts of your life that are abased. We're just like Esther, because the person, the position and the place are by God's providence. She eventually did go before the king and make her request, and he listened to her, and he decreed another law that the Jews could rise up and defend themselves from this attack, and they did, and Esther's courage and faith in God saved her people from certain destruction. Guess what? The person God made you to be, the position that you've been given, what you've been given, and the place that you're in are all by God's providence. And God wants to use you to keep certain people from a certain destruction. By your light, through the power of Jesus Christ, shining to make an impact in the people around you, your spouse, your children, your grandchildren, your co-workers, your neighbors. But by being discontent with these things, we miss out on the very point of our existence and why God saved you from your sin and left you here. And that's our key point. Your enemies want you to be comfortable with the world instead of content with your purpose for being in it. The church at Laodicea, they were seeking comfort. 
They thought they had it all. Keep reading in those verses in 17 and 18 of Revelation. And, and God says, no, actually, you're blind and miserable and naked. They are missing out. And we can do the same if we're not careful. When we're seeking comfort instead of being content with our purpose for being here. And that brings us back to Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. You see, Paul was able to write and live out that verse because he had learned to be content with his person, his position, and his place. Why? How? Because learning is by experience, according to Genesis 30.27. But that experience isn't mystical and, and strange. No, it's... Well, it's as simple as searching the scriptures, processing the principle, and adjusting our attitude about whatever's going on, about yourself, about the things you've been given or haven't been given, about the place that you're in. If you'll simply search the scriptures, process the principle, and adjust your attitude, ah, oh, content, contentment is right there. It's, it's yours for the taking. It's yours for the taking because, you see, we want to apply this verse, Philippians 4.13, to our personal goals, our personal desires, our comfort. And the fact is this. We don't need God to do those things because I see lost people every day doing those things without God. They run businesses. They raise families. They score touchdowns. They climb Mount Everest. They hike from one side of the United States to the other. They buy houses. They buy cars. They buy stuff. They go on dream vacations, and they have passion projects, and they want to stamp Philippians 4.13 on that. You can do all of those things in the flesh. That's just the truth. You can. But But what Paul is saying is this. I can do all things through Christ that I cannot do without him. That's what Paul is talking about. I can do all things through Christ that I cannot do without him. Like what? I can only walk in the Spirit through Christ, which strengtheneth me. I can only have a house of peace and joy through Christ, which strengtheneth me. I can only love my wife as Christ loved the church through Christ, which strengtheneth me. I can only reverence my husband through Christ, which strengtheneth me. I can only raise up my children in the right way that they should go through Christ, which strengtheneth me. I can only have good character in my workplace, at my school, on my sports team, through Christ, who strengtheneth me. I can only serve and sacrifice and suffer when I am invisible to everyone but God himself. Through Christ, which strengtheneth me. That's, amen, that's Philippians 4.13. That's what he's talking about. And that is actually what a victorious life is. Because if you do all of those things through Christ, I promise you, in God's economy, you will be richly rewarded. And it has nothing to do with what you actually have. It's what you do with it. Man, we can, we can rest in that promise. We can rest in it. And so as the praise team makes their way up to the front, I just hope and pray that, that this passage is a little more clear. 
as to what contentment is and why it's so important. Because there is an enemy and his strongest desire is simply to make you discontent with who he made you to be, with what he's given you, and with where he's placed you. So that you can get distracted and not accomplish the mission that he has for you. It's just as simple as that. Because God in his providence wants to use you in the lives of others. And so if you need to accept Christ as your Savior, I want you to, this time, this time is yours. If, if you have business with the Lord this morning, this time is yours. But get things right with Him this morning if you need to. But praise God, we, man, we have a certain sure word of truth. We just, have to, we just have to search the Scriptures. We just have to process the principle, and we just have to adjust our attitude. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I love you. I thank you so much for this church. I thank you for Alan. I thank you for the leaders that try to live these principles out. And I pray, God, as a church, as individuals, that, God, we would not, we would not stray from the truth you've given us that each and every one of us would, would, would just be searching your truth out. And then, God, that we would process it and let it, let it change us so that we can be more like you. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.